Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Trapbacks, air yards, the Environmental Protection Agency. That's what I knew EPA to be. But there's other stuff. CPOE? What? Maybe we'll get a stat about Carlos Hyde. Anyway, welcome to the show. If you're confused, if you don't know what we're talking about, you will. Advanced Stats 101, our favorite advanced stats, what they mean, how they're used, who's good at these stats, who's bad, what does that mean for fantasy, and welcome, everybody. I'm Adam Azer, Dave Richard. Dave Richard. What's up, Adam? Not much. You all right? Yeah, I'm hanging in there. Okay, good. Ben Gretsch. How we doing? You must be excited. This is a, excited. right up it's your alley. Advanced Stats Day. Yeah, yeah, this is an exciting day. And Heath, the luckiest man in the world, Heath Cummings. You know, there's been a lot of talk on social media about how lucky I got to get a full house. I I thought that Dave said it was like 65-35 when we went all in. I don't think a, thir- a 35% shot hitting is luck. No, but it's uh, you need a little bit of it if you're an underdog. Sure, but like we're acting as if Heath, oh, Heath won because he got lucky. Right. It's not like I had uh, a pair of kings and you had a pair of aces and I hit a king on the flop and then you made an ace. It's not like we're talking about one hand here. Yeah, we're not just talking about one hand. Every time anyone made a move against you, you would hit something. (laughs) I know when I went out, I, I was confident you didn't have anything, but I had to act before you on the river and you had hit an ace on the river and had nothing up to that point. Do you know, you know, it's interesting because the thing that I thought about, and you guys are right. I had great cards and I forgot how much fun it is. Um, Like (laughs) poker can be a maddening game. If you play for two, three, four hours and don't get any cards at all. I forgot Uh how much fun it is when like the cards just keep coming to you. But isn't it interesting that we played for an hour and there was never a time where someone made a big move and someone else was there. What do you mean? There was never a, ooh, Adam and Ben are all in. Dave yeah, and Adam you knocked out every person. Yeah. <laughs> every I, I every single time that someone made a move, there was one guy standing there. Yeah, it was like I went all in with three of a kind and you got a flush on the river. You knocked me out. You, you just did this to everyone. And congratulations is what I'm saying. We played poker last. It's not really what I'm saying, but I'll say it anyway. Um, we played poker last night on Twitch. I hope you were there for that. Twitch.com slash FF today. We will be doing that again. And obviously, uh, well, we talked fantasy football. We talked regular football. We just hung out. It was really fun. It was the most fun thing I've done uh, in quarantine. That might actually be true. So for enough about that, let's move on to today's topic. Uh, I've got a couple of emails to read. We have a dynasty slash regular mailbag, but a lot of dynasty questions uh, that we're going to read on our next show, which we're recording on Thursday late evening. You might hear it Thursday night. You might hear it Friday. But for now, let's talk about your favorite advanced stat, if you have one. Ben Gretsch, what is your numero uno, your favorite? My absolute favorite one? I mean, it, it depends how you define advanced, and we're obviously going to be looking at some of the not like extremely complex ones. And I, I think Ariards fits there, and that's probably my favorite. And And we'll get into why later but i i really like the way you can incorporate um air yards into your your thoughts of targets and and volume for receivers and tight ends okay heath you know it's interesting because i have kind of a love hate relationship with a lot of the uh 
stats we're going to talk about. What I what really frustrates me is is numbers that tell us what happened but don't necessarily help us next week or next year. Um, I'll say my favorite, and it's not necessarily advanced, but I'll say my favorite is uh, market share, either of targets or air yards or carries inside a certain range. Or that that's kind of where I start with building a lot of my projections. Um, so that's where I'll go. And Dave, YPC for life, baby. <laughs> really? No. That's Adam. <laughs> I can't steal Adam's favorite advanced stat. Well, I was just I was beating him to the punch, and no, that's it's not my favorite advanced stat, and it's also not an advanced stat. Uh, I'm I'm learning to love yards per route run. I think that's a good way to measure efficiency among pass catchers. You can use it for running backs as well, the ones that catch a lot of passes anyway. And uh, I, I think that helps paint a good picture of, of how effective a player can be, um, regardless of what his target share is. And, and I'm, just for the record, I agree 100% with Heath. A lot of the data that we're going to talk about, it sounds great, but making it applicable toward the future, there's just no surefire way to guarantee that it'll be that way. I just think it's a great way to illustrate how a player has been. And if you see that, you know, he's got a high yards per route run over his career, it probably means he's a very efficient player and you should expect him to be. It's just another reason to maybe, maybe it's a tiebreaker. You'll take a player that's got a good yards per route run average over one that maybe did it for one year or, or had a great year, but didn't have a good average in that category. Heath, how would you compare this discussion in baseball compared to football people rely very heavily on advanced stats with fantasy baseball analysis um i guess i would say that baseball is like 20 years ahead of football (laughs) in terms of coming up with and applying advanced stats but it is easier to find an edge in football because we're at the point to where everyone's already doing it in baseball Gotcha. By the way, the top... You know why it's 20 years ahead. Um, well, the... fa- fantasy baseball was probably 20 years before fantasy football started. Well, sure, there's there's that, but also the, the there's more reliable data in yeah. baseball. There's, These there's guys are playing 20. 10 times as many games as football players. Play. Sure, yes. And... And in baseball, it just sets up better. You have a pitcher against a hitter, right? And there's yes. there's a one on one matchup, and uh, I, I call it multi variability, or that's a, a word that I've used in writing before. I don't even know if it's a real word, but the, you know the way that the offensive line impacts the quarterback's time to throw, which impacts his accuracy, which impacts the receiver's catch rate. I mean, all of these things are are all tied together. The defense they are playing, how good the pass rush was, that all is going to impact football stats. Hey, in non-PPR leagues, name the one running back that finished in the top 20 and averaged fewer than four yards per carry. I thought this was an advanced stat show. <laughs> yeah, Actually, this is usually, and that answer is usually like Melvin Gordon. Fewer than 4.2 yards per carry. He didn't finish top 20. Um, Leonard Fournette. No, wait. You said no. Well, non-PPR. No, Fournette actually averaged 4.3 yards. Le'Veon Bell, right? No, he was 21st. No, he didn't finish top 20. He was 21st. <laughs> it's Todd Gurley. Uh, yeah, uh, touchdowns. Yep. Yeah, Todd Gurley. All right. Uh, before we get into uh, some more stats, what they mean, and how you can use them, let's read a few emails here on Fantasy Football Today. Your emails at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. This comes from Dan in a small town south of Cincinnati and north of Knoxville. 
Uh, uh, Louisville's probably too big. But that's what we're going with. He's from Louisville. Thank you. Okay, he's in a small town in Louisville. Dear... A suburb, if you will. Langley, Frohike, and Byers. I've never heard of this. This is the lone gunman. The lone gunman. Never heard of it. I'm in an auction league where you start a quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver, a running back slash wide receiver, a wide receiver slash tight end, a tight end, a defense, and a kicker. It's pretty... It's a little different, but... With quarterbacks so deep, do you think it would be wise to focus just about all of your resources on running backs and wide receivers and wait on a quarterback, even if you have to settle for the 15th ranked one or worse? How This is the crux of the question here. How far down on the quarterback totem pole would you be willing to go for your starter? Um, Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I was waiting for Heath. <laughs> you know that. Because the nice thing is, like, he is, in my opinion, a, a right around 15th. But he's being drafted as like the 26th quarterback off the board. So it yeah. doesn't matter how many quarterbacks everyone takes. Gardner Minshew will still be there in the last round. Yeah, I don't think people realize you can literally wait until the last round to take a quarterback. I, I know that sounds aggressive, but you, I mean, and you don't have to. And I don't typically wait till the very last round. But uh, there are other options too. Tyrod Taylor, if he starts for the Chargers, will be very good in, in fantasy while he's starting. He's a good guy to get you started in the year, and you can use him as a bridge and, and find a new quarterback if Herbert takes over. You can find guys at the very end of drafts. And that's that's what you're basically doing if you're waiting till the end of your draft is you're taking a quarterback that means nothing to you. You're not going to feel bad about cutting him if he plays bad the first couple of weeks of the season. You'll say, oh, I took him with my you know 14th round pick. Who cares? And then you just move on to somebody else. There's also the idea of trying to find the next Lamar Jackson or the next Patrick Mahomes with your late round picks and drafting two of them. And you can use one as your starter and one as a guy to speculate on. And then you move on from there. Thank you for the email, Dan. Uh, By the way, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, please do so. Search Fantasy Football Today on Facebook or click on the link in the description Chat with the FFT team and other fantasy fans. You can ask us keeper questions. You can join a new dynasty league. Uh, you can discuss draft strategies, whatever. We got plenty of discussions and uh, just a good way to interact with other listeners. Our Facebook group, again, Fantasy Football Today on Facebook. And we got a mailbag later this week. So send your questions in via Apple Podcast Review. We'll answer every single one of those. We'll also answer your, your straight up emails, fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. So let's get into advanced stats now. And start with some running back stats. Ben, what is our first running back stat? Um, it's trap. I have trap. Trap and high value touches. <laughs> yes, I didn't send uh, those stat to you. that I came up with last year. But essentially, just broadly for running backs, it's an opportunity driven position. So snaps matter, and certain types of weighted touches. There's different ways to look at it, and, and this is one way to look at it. But um, there's a lot of ways you could quantify it. Okay, so. Do you want to just give a brief definition? What we'll do is we'll give a brief definition of every stat, and then we'll talk about the players that you need to know for the stat. Right. So when I say weighted touches, I'm talking about looking at the, the specific touches because it is an opportunity-driven position, the specific touches that, that lead to more fantasy points. And the way that I define high-value touches are receptions plus rush attempts inside the 10-yard line. Um, so like in close scoring range, because the vast majority of touchdowns are scored in that range. I think it's something like 75% of touchdowns and it's only like 25% of rush attempts come in that range. Uh, so everything outside the 10 yard line, there are still obviously some long touchdown runs, but, uh, it's a much higher proportion of the total rushes and a much lower proportion of the total touchdowns. 
and you get a lot lower um a lot lower yardage fantasy points because you can't get as many yards per carry as you can get per reception. Plus in PPR leagues, you get the point for the reception. So you want guys who a lot of their touches are receptions and are in scoring range. Those are what lead to fantasy upside at running back. Who's good with, in the regard to this statistic and who's bad and who's average. So Christian McCaffrey was very good last year, even though he had, or even considering that he had a ton of touches, a really high percentage of his touches were receptions and in scoring range. Austin Eckler is a guy who's an example of one who didn't have as many raw total touches, but had that really great combination of receptions and scoring opportunities. Um, the On the bad side, you have guys like Josh Jacobs, Derek Henry, uh, who just a very low percentage of their touches were either receptions or in scoring range, both of those guys had a decent number of scoring opportunities, but um, just so few receptions that that's where we start to worry about their potential upside. Any follow-ups, guys? I wonder when you're when you're talking about this, you're weighing not wait not waiting at all, correct? Like a reception is worth the same as a carry inside the ten yard line. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's not, but it, that's like a simplified way of looking at it. Yes. Right. Right, I I just not just kind of thinking in a different way. Like the guy, maybe two guys, but I think we can mostly agree that Mark Ingram was flukier last year than Derrick Henry was. Yep. Um, but like the guy that would have kind of uh, wrecked that last year was Derrick Henry, and we expect him to regress. But he did that partially on the fact that he had a lot of touches inside the tar- ten yard line, right? Not a ton. He did have a lot. Um, but he also had a lot of long touchdowns yeah, and he just had a lot of raw carries. And even though they're, they're worth less, like this is a way of looking at a player's total touches, which is really what a lot of fantasy players are looking at. So it's a way that you can break down their total touches and say, okay, maybe Austin Eckler's undervalued. Uh, He's not really in 2020, but he certainly was in 2019. He's someone I highlighted in the trap article last year. Maybe he's undervalued because people are thinking he's only in a bit role and can't see a ton of touches. But even going into last year, he had a role that was high reception role and the Chargers used their backs in scoring range at a high at high rate. So he was somebody who looked like if he can get a few more touches, he could have a really high upside. And that's what we saw when Gordon was holding out. I'd love to know what you guys think of this. Uh, another advanced stat. Not not at all. But carries inside the five-yard line and efficiency there. Nick Chubb had 15 carries for negative 14 yards inside the five-yard line. That's feels like a yeah. typo. Um, but it he had he did have 79% of his team's carries inside the five, which is awesome. Uh, whereas Mark Ingram only had 53.6% of his team's carries inside the five because of Lamar Jackson, you know, largely. Um, Melvin Gordon had 62% of his team's carries inside the five. You'd have to break that down between the 12 games he played and the four games he missed with Eckler and whatnot. But I know like Kareem Hunt did not get any goal line work, but it doesn't seem like Nick Chubb was very good near the goal line. And what would it do to his fantasy production if 79% of the carries inside the five becomes 60% of the carries inside the five? Uh, is that something? It wouldn't be you, good. You, yeah, it, was, do you look at that? It wouldn't be good. It means somebody else would get them. You can't look at the yardage that a running back gets inside the five. There's nowhere for them to go. Well, that's you know? like shockingly bad, though. It is. It, it is, but I, Dave's point right. Dave's point's accurate. Any any carry inside the five, the absolute most you can get is five yards. So all it takes is a couple big losses, and you're going to have right. a, 
a cumulative negative point. You know, or negative like total. you must be a god if you're averaging two yards per carry inside the five. That would be ridiculous. No, I think the number that stands out more is that he had 15 carries inside the five and he only had two touchdowns. Yeah, that stands out to me. Yeah, because that means he had 15 carries where he could have potentially scored. He only did it twice. Compare that with somebody like Dalvin Cook who had 15 carries inside the five. He scored nine times. Yeah. Zeke had 12 carries inside the five. He scored nine times. So that's kind of, that's something that might worry me about Chubb. It make me, it might make me want to go back and review those 15 carries to see how much of it was him. Was he dancing in the backfield a lot or was his offensive line failing? And he just got pulverized the second he got the football. I'd also say like the problem for me with that is you are talking about like something that has happened less than once per game. And so if he had a really weird play where it was fourth and goal and he bounced back and bounced back and kept fighting and lost 11 yards on the play, then that's going to just alter the entire season. It's such a small sample size. And it's, I don't, I like, if you told me over a, a two or three year sample that this guy gets into the end zone at a rate half as low as the rest of the league, I might start to believe he was bad in short yardage, but, 15 times over one season. I, the only way it would matter is if it mattered to the coach. Starting to doubt these numbers. As I look at the game log here, I just feel like it might be an, an error, but like Christian McCaffrey well, I mean, had 17 I, carries I with, I, with Chubb. I see he had three carries in two carries inside the five, three carries inside the five where he lost at least four yards last year. Yeah. So there's your number. But that's um, why getting back to actual advanced stats, (laughs) (laughs) like I think I especially I mean, I think this is an interesting one, Azer, that you brought up. But I think especially when you talk about percentage of team carries inside the five, my immediate thought is how many team carries did the team have inside the five? Because that's going to be a better barometer than a percentage. I mean, anytime we're going to get into percentage of team volume, we need to also consider the team volume. And this is specifically one where good teams are going to be inside the five way, way more often than bad teams. Well, Christian McCaffrey is your leader with carries inside the five-yard line on a terrible team. Um, it, but yeah, I, all the names I gave and all the percentages I gave were players who had a similar amount of carries in that range. Are there any other running backs you want to talk about here? Or should we move on to wide receivers? I know it's a little more interesting with wide receivers and ADOT and things yeah, like that. I, the only other thing I would offer just because we're doing advanced stats 101 is a lot of people like to talk about um you know force missed tackles and tackles evaded and a lot of these types of stats um i from what i have learned and seen those don't have very strong predictive abilities similar to what heath was saying at the top running back ultimately is an opportunity driven position so it's great to look at a descriptive stat like that and say this guy's really good at say forcing missed tackles but that might also be a way of saying that he doesn't evade tackles or this guy's really good at evading tackles, but that might also be a way of saying that, you know, once they bring an extra guy in the box, he's not going to be able to break tackles. Um, And there's a reason that those stats don't necessarily correlate with fantasy scoring because it also works in conjunction with blocking and everything else. So don't get too bogged down with running back advanced stats like that, that try to quantify running back skill. I'm not saying running backs don't matter, but it, the, the opportunity side is way more predictive for fantasy success. All right, ready for wide receivers? Yeah, all right, wide receivers, A dot. So what is A dot? Lowercase a, capital dot. Yeah, so A dot is the average depth of a target. And 
the, I think the simplest way to think about this is if you have a player who caught a 40 yard pass, the yards after catch element to me is always pretty intuitive. So let's say he had 15 yards after the catch. The depth of the throw is just essentially yards before catch. So it's a 40 yard play and he had 15 yards after the catch. He caught it 25 yards down the field. That is the depth of the target. Um, but when we talk about air yards and a dot, which are the same thing, it's just that air yards is a cumulative total and a dot is per target. Um, what we're talking about is not just plays that were completed the yards before the catch, but also plays that were incompleted. So it's similar to targets in that sense where, um, you know, receptions would be just plays that are completed targets are all plays that were completed and not completed. And that gives us an opportunity, a measure of opportunity, how many times the ball is thrown to a player. Um, and so air yards is a measure of all of the times a ball was thrown to a guy, how far downfield it was all added together. And a dot is the average depth of all of those throws. And so you can wind up with different profiles, higher a dot, um, but lower targets could be the same amount of total air yards as a guy with a lower a dot and more targets. And they, they, those stats interact with each other. You're basically finding out how far down the field they're running their routes. Right. I mean, it, oh, uh, a simple way to translate it into fantasy success is this is the, uh, the potential receiving yards a player could have. And you like, whereas targets high- is the potential yeah. catches, how many balls he could catch, how many times the ball's been thrown to him. If he caught everyone, how many balls he could catch. This is the potential receiving yards. Okay, but is air yards a better stat than a dot for the potential for receiving yards? It depends on what you're looking at. So air yards, yes, but there are other elements to this. The further a ball is thrown downfield, the lower the catch probability is, right? So mm-hmm. balls near the line of scrimmage are going to be caught at a much higher rate. We see running backs have a lot higher catch rates than wide receivers just to simplify that and, and especially deep threat wide receivers are going to have low catch rates so if you have two guys that had a thousand air yards that that's notable but targets are still more important than air yards they're about twice as important as air yards and okay. so if you have two guys that have a thousand air yards and one had a hundred targets at a 10 average depth of target that's how we got to a thousand air yards and another one had like 67 targets at a 15 average depth of target you want the guy who had a hundred targets over the guy who had 67 targets, um, even though the 15 average depth of target is higher, if that makes sense. So all else being equal, we still want more targets, but when you start looking at guys who have the same number of targets, you definitely want the guy who has more air yards at that point. I, I noticed something today. And I think that like a lot of people still probably spend a lot of their football research time on pro football reference. And they have added some advanced stats to their uh, quarterback, running back, wide receiver pages. They actually have um, yards before completion. So they're not fact. It's not average depth of target. It's more like average depth of reception. Adore. How would you like when people are looking at that bin? It's still useful. What? Yeah, it's still useful, but like, what do they need to know in comparing those two numbers? Like, what? What's the? De- I guess the downside of just using yards before completion, or how would you view it differently than you would average depth of target? I would. Uh, so that um, is useful 
the the average depth of target and air yards are volume stats like targets again they're they're a measure of what could have happened if the player had good efficiency and, and we just went over regression so it's a good time to be talking about this um it shows what the the available opportunity was for the player right the yards before completion doesn't show that because it's not showing any incompletions we we don't have anything to regress it to it's more just for reference but i do think it's useful in the sense that uh, particularly another element of this is yards after the catch is a pretty um it's not very sticky year to year it's not very stable it doesn't like yards after the catch is something that players can have a couple big yards after the catch plays a good example is hunter renfro a lot of people are really excited about hunter renfro i think hunter renfro could be a good player but he had multiple catch and run slants that were like 60 yard touchdowns last year and they accounted for a really high percentage of his total receiving yards and it boosted every element of his you know efficiency and everything you look at and it's mostly all just yards after the catch. If you go look at Hunter Renfro's yards before the catch, I'm sure it's very low. And, and then that gives us a pretty good indication. Okay, Hunter Renfro probably is not going to be a really high yards per target guy because he's actually catching the ball at a pretty low uh, depth, right? Okay, uh, so before we get into the players that are good, bad, and average at dot air yards, two questions. One, does uh, a high dot usually look usually correlate to a player that's better in non PPR than full PPR like yeah. Kenny Galladay and Mike Evans and stuff like that right okay yep. and then con- conversely you know a guy I'm assuming Julian Edelman has a pretty low a dot and and yep. you know all those PPR studs and two why should I care sum it up in one or two sentences why should I care about these stats for fantasy I think the easiest way would be like, as long as you care about targets, you should care about air yards because it adds more to the puzzle. So targets are predictive of future fantasy success, even more predictive than, um, you know, just receptions because efficiency regresses. All right, let's Uh, get into the players then. Well, let me, let me just add to that. Targets are, are more efficient or more predictive. Air yards aren't as predictive as targets, but targets and air yards together are more predictive than just targets. Okay. So yeah, let's get into the players, the ones you want to talk about uh, for fantasy purposes. Who's good? I, I don't even like it's. It's not even good. It's not like uh, is it? I mean, that's not really the right terminology for this. I feel. Yeah, especially uh, when we're talking about these stats, it's more um, the different profiles and right. what they mean. Okay, so highlight some players for us. Yeah, so like low A dot players, you mentioned Julian Edelman, Michael Thomas, Cooper Cup are guys that qualify as low A dot guys. I, I talked about the yards after the catch thing. The one thing about yards after the catch that is pretty stable is throws closer to the line of scrimmage lead to more yards after the catch. So bubble screens are going to be not a lot of yards to completion. That's that that Heath was talking about, but a lot of yards after completion uh, or even shallow crosses or, or quick outs are going to typically lead to more yards after the catch. Uh, than downfield plays like deep crosses. A lot of times the players are just hit by a safety after they catch the ball. So a lower, uh, a lower a dot player, they're going to tend to have a couple of things. They're going to have a higher catch rate. Naturally, they're going to have typically uh, some, some higher yards after the catch. And that is something that we could expect uh, to, to be more stable as far as yards after the catch goes, because most lower, lower depth passes lead to more yards after the catch. And so that's Michael Thompson. That's Cooper Cup. That's Julian Edelman. Then you have the high ADOT guys. They're going to have lower catch rates. They're not going to catch as many passes. And you're going to see big spikes in their efficiency 
even over the course of a season, and we were talking about small sample sizes, when they just had a better year in terms of catching a lot of deep targets. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's a guy that comes up a lot as a guy who's always had really high efficiency, except for one year where he um, was much worse with Jameis Winston. And uh, he just comes to mind because I remember that year he only had, I think, two plays of more than 40 yards. And almost every other year in his career, he's had at least like eight in that season. And that just tanked his overall efficiency. Just the rate of deep balls that he hit on over the course of 16 games has a bi- has a big impact. So those players are going to be more boom or bust. And those types are Galladay, Evans, Devontae Parker, um, Odell Beckham last year when he went to Cleveland, he went up to a career high in, in average depth of target and was much more of a downfield threat. And we could, and he wasn't very efficient. We could see some of that bounce back. Right. And you could just remember the times in New York where he would take a slant pattern. It's the only thing Eli Manning knew how to throw and break a tackle and take it to the house. Um, and that's interesting. I mean, is he better suited to be less of a downfield guy? I don't know that we know the answer to that yet. Last year was such a mess, but that's kind of interesting for Odell Beckham. Uh, Dave, what's your reaction to some of this? I think it tells you who these players are. Uh, You can use it before you draft, like who these players are and the ones that get the high target. Like these are all opportunity data points, right? Players who get a lot of targets and you see them getting a bunch of targets year after year, or maybe in the second half of the season and and you buy into that. Devontae Parker, as an example. Maybe there are going to be people that buy into Devontae Parker because he had such a high target share to end the season, and he had a lot of air yards. So you know that he was getting thrown the ball a lot, and many of the times he was throwing the ball, it was particularly downfield. Now, is that going to change because Preston Williams makes a speedy recovery back from the ACL surgery, or you know, Albert Wilson becomes a thing, Mike Kosicki becomes a thing? It's possible. But it, it, it measures opportunity, and I would say air yards can also measure explosive plays. And that's where you can pick up gobs of fantasy numbers. If you've got a receiver that's going to get, you know, two deep throws a game uh, or they're going to play from behind and then they start getting two or three or four per game, those are points that can rack up pretty quickly. All right, Heath, I'm going to throw it to you. Um, Well, I have a follow-up question, but if you want to just give your overall thoughts on this discussion, some players that come to mind that you think, you know, that you've looked at ADOT or air yards and made some fantasy decisions based on. Well, I think like you asked, are these high ADOT guys better for non-PPR? And I, I might go even another step. Like if you are somebody that likes to play best ball, those high ADOT guys can be very boom or bust on a week-to-week basis. Um, ben mentioned Deshaun Jackson. Like we had a stretch with Brandon Cooks where for three or four years, he was consistently a top 12 guy every year. But on a week-to-week basis, you had no idea what he was going to be. So those guys can be a little bit more frustrating in your lineup. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting is like looking at their average depth of target in combination with their yak and like player. Like I, I was just looking today, actually. And I didn't even know how rare this was, and the reason I brought up the uh, yards before catch is because I was on Darren Waller, somebody I've struggled with. Uh, projecting just every time I look at the Raiders projections page, I changed Darren Waller's projection in one direction or another. And last year he was like at 6.4 or something yards before the catch and 6.3 yards after the catch. And I didn't really know what that meant for tight end. So I went and looked at Evan Ingram, who 
I think of as like one of the more athletic tight ends that is used more downfield. Evan Ingram has been below five yards before before the catch each of the past two years. He had one year where he was like eight yards after the catch. Last year, he was like four and a half. And so I think you're probably like if you're wanting to bank on one of these year over year, a player's unless your name's Stefan Diggs, a player's role and where they're targeted is less likely to change than what they do after the catch, especially if what they do after the catch looks spectacular or really terrible. Okay. Can we use I don't know if Ben agrees with all that. No, but I agree with all that. Can we use this data to identify sleepers, breakouts, or busts? Yeah, I mean, so that's like one of the most applicable ways. Like, and unfortunately, the example that's coming to my mind right now is not going to be as applicable. But Curtis Samuel was the only player last year that had at least a thousand air yards and didn't have, um, or excuse me, not not at least a thousand air yards. He was the only player that was in the top fifteen in air yards for the season, total air yards, that didn't have at least a thousand receiving yards, and he only had six hundred twenty-three. So that's an example of a guy who I just used the the one season for Deshaun Jackson where he didn't hit on a lot of a lot of deep throws. He was running a lot of deep routes. He was seeing a lot of deep targets. But Kyle Allen was very poor throwing the ball down the field. That's a type of guy. But now that they've added Robbie Anderson and they've changed their offense, it maybe isn't as applicable. But that's a guy that early in the offseason I was looking at as he is going to regress positively and catch more downfield passes. You don't have this type of downfield volume uh, year over year and, and be as um, – as inefficient as he was. He was so far from the rest of the players that were similar to him in air yards. So that's kind of how you use it when there's these big outliers and big examples of guys that are either extremely efficient or extremely inefficient. But that didn't well, really work, I though, with Curtis Samuel, thing, did it? Like with Samuel specific, specifically is, like if you see one of those guys on the list and it was Brandon Cooks without the concussions or someone that we already knew had established themselves as a good NFL wide receiver, you could feel a lot more comfortable that they're going to get the same opportunity next year. The problem is if someone's extremely inefficient, even if maybe if it's not their fault, that could lead to a role change or just not getting those types of targets anymore because it didn't work out last year. Yep. That's a great point. And we can transition over to tight ends here too, because a, a better example would be Mike Gesicki who we just kind of touched on. Mike Kosicki had a really high average depth of target. He had a ton of air yards. He was fourth among all tight ends last year. He led tight ends from week four on. So the first couple of games he wasn't as involved, but he was used way down the field. He lined up in the slot. And part of the reason this worked out this way is he lined up in the slot about three times as, as much as he lined up as a traditional tight end. So this is a one stat for us to look at the types of tight ends that are used actually out in routes and down the field which is what we want to target in fantasy right like we want to know which tight ends are more receivers because it can go either way they can be blockers or they can be receivers but Heath makes a good point with a player like Kasicki who's not established it could impact his volume I think Kasicki's numbers across the board in terms of his opportunity are so strong that he's probably my favorite late round tight end almost exclusively because of this because of how he's used because he's used down the field more like a receiver than a tight end and because you ran a ton of routes, he was also, um, I believe he was third in the league in, in routes run last year among all tight ends. If a player has more receiving yards than air yards, how should that be interpreted? Does that happen? 
It does when they're low ADOT guys. So that's that would be an example. It, Darren it Waller. has to be interpreted in relation to their ADOT. So a guy who has uh, an average up to target of five yards per throw is not catching a lot of balls on the field. He probably is racking up a lot of yards after the catch. And at that point, you can end up with a lot more receiving yards than, than air yards. Like, is it possible that Michael Thomas did that last year? I think he, did. he probably did. Well, yeah. I'm looking at Darren Waller. I'm just on airyards.com. It, uh, 1,145 receiving yards, 856 air yards. That's a huge difference. Yeah. Well, so you, you do have to control for where his throws were, the depth of his throws, which Waller's A dot was pretty low. But I do, I, I agree with the point you're making. I think his um, his yards after the catch, that's an example of a guy that it probably won't be as high next year. I was made, I wasn't, I have no idea what I'm saying. So well, that's <laughs> thank, what you just said. Thank you for making it for me. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, do you have, do you like to look at the correlation between the quarterback? and the receivers, tight ends, and air yards. Like, for example, Dak Prescott, second in the NFL in air yards behind Jameis Winston. Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper were, were basically the same. Air yards, A dot, very, very similar. Um, does that mean that they had the same role? You know, uh, and, and I know, like, for Ben, you love Matthew Stafford because he threw the ball so in the air so much. His air yards went way up. If he had played 16 games at his pace, he would have been second in the NFL in air yards ahead of Dak Prescott. And then Kenny Galladay is obviously one of the leaders there. So, I mean, does that make Galladay a great fit? I think of Darius Slayton and Daniel Jones being a good fit because Slayton blew everyone on the Giants away in, in uh, I probably could have said that better, in air yards. Um, but yeah, like is the quarterback receiver correlation, is Dave, I'll throw to you, is that important? Well, of, of course it's important. I don't know if, I guess you could probably find the proper data to make that correlation come true. But I mean, you could also just say a, a good pass catcher needs a good quarterback. Not that it has to be that way because we've seen it before where, you know, Brandon Lloyd's catching passes from who, who Kyle Orton was that the same year. Am I yeah. not making that up? So there, there are definitely times where receivers can overcome iffy quarterback play, but most of the time the, there's a connection between, good capable quarterback who can get the ball to his receiver receiver who gets a lot of volume and a lot of air yards and can put together good numbers. Okay. Fair enough. Let's talk about more players. Um, that could be, you know, we had some good discussions about certain players, but in terms of tight ends, Mike Asiki for Ben Heath, is there a, 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 a tight end that there's a stat that you particularly like or dislike about a player? Or did you already go through that? No, with Darren Waller? I, like, no, like I would have said, I would have said Waller because right. I don't think like, yeah, he averaged six yards after the catch 6.4 yards before reception. I don't think is actually that bad for a tight end. Like it's not good, but it's not particularly bad. And I do think like his, the way he performed on a per target basis is part of the reason that I struggle with taking away a bunch of targets from him just because he was really good with the opportunity that he was given. Doesn't that data also tell you how the Raiders kind of operate? Not kind of. It's really how they operate. They don't let Derek Carr throw downfield very often. So he's going to get a lot of short targets that are inside of 10 yards. Yeah, I don't know and if he's it's not the only one. Because they keep saying they want him to. I think it's that but they Derek don't. Carr's brain doesn't let him. Yeah. Maybe. So these things obviously work in conjunction with each other. How far downfield the quarterback throws and, and the receivers the one side of it that is more predictive is the receiver side. So Josh Herms Myers, the guy who 
did a lot of the groundbreaking work on air yards. And he likes to say that the receiver um, owns their own average depth of target um, and the quarterback kind of adjusts. And that's one of the reasons, for instance, you brought up Stafford that I like Stafford because for several years after Calvin Johnson retired, his top targets were Golden Tate and Theo Riddick who were underneath guys. And those are the guys that were getting open. He was throwing to, and that's how their offense was run. Um, now they're Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. And those are high A dot guys. Those are guys that get down the field and, and their offense is running a little bit differently. They have a different offensive coordinator now. Um, so I actually think that Stafford's change to more of a downfield passer will stick this year. Let's talk about routes run, Ben, for tight ends specifically. How important is this stat and who are the players that stand out good and bad? Yeah. So routes run, when you talk about, you know, what to look at for different stats and people who maybe read my stealing signals column last year, I would look at snaps a lot and, and snaps matter a ton for running backs and receivers, especially for running backs. You just want guys that are on the field a lot. Um, you know, Christian McCaffrey had the highest snap share of any running back last year. That's very helpful. It's not the only reason he was good, but it's very, very helpful. And receivers don't typically block a lot. So snaps matter for them too. Uh, just because most receivers, their routes and their snaps tend to be very correlated. For tight ends, it's not the same case. For tight ends, snaps aren't very great because there are plenty of tight ends who are in and blocking on passing downs. And so you really want to focus more on the route side of the equation. And there's so like Dave mentioned the the, the stat yards per route run. That I, I really like yards per route run as well. It's a very good stat. But the difference between yards per route run and yards per target is simply how many targets a player gets for every route they run, which is actually an opportunity metric, right? It's so, and I'll give you some, some great examples of different profiles. So first let's start with George Kittle. Kittle plays a lot of snaps, but he blocks a lot. So he doesn't actually run as many routes as some of the league leaders. Um, Mark Andrews doesn't play a lot of snaps, but he runs a ton of routes when he plays and Kittle and Andrews are very similar from the route point on. They both run similar numbers of routes, and they're very efficient on those routes. They see a lot of targets per route, and they have really high yards per route run. They were the top two tight ends in the league last year in yards per route run. They're also the top two tight ends in the league in targets per route run. Uh, then you look at a guy like O.J. Howard, who isn't as relevant to 2020 now that Robert Gronkowski is there, but he's a really good example of a player that was very efficient per target and has been very efficient. And I mentioned this on Twitter a couple, uh, maybe a month or so ago, and kind of got hammered because people were like, you're looking at yards per target still, you're, you're crazy. And there are, there are plenty of people who are aware that yards per target isn't necessarily telling the whole story. But as far as OJ Howard's concerned, his yards per route run are not good, but that's because he's not seeing a lot of targets per route run for whatever reason. And I think targets are a measure of skill. And, and for guys like Kittle and Andrews, they're seeing a lot of targets per route run in part because they're very good at getting open. Also in part because their offenses rely on deception and scheme them open. Um, and that helps them maintain also high yards per route run because whenever they're out there, they're, they're getting a lot of balls thrown their way too. Um, they're also efficient with it, but there's, there's different profiles for different players, right? And there's different things, but like the OJ Howard example, the reason to like him and the reason I still like him in dynasty as a guy who might have a later career breakout, maybe like an Eric Ebron, maybe it'll take till he gets to a second team, but he's a guy that when the ball is thrown his way and whatever the reason he's never had a lot of targets per route run, but when it's thrown his way, he's very good with the pass when it comes to him. That doesn't mean yards per targets better than yards per route run, but it does mean that there's an element to his profile that shows that he's got great ball skills. He's tough to tackle and he can be successful. If for some reason in a different situation, he can get more targets, uh, you know, per route run or, or 
while he's out there, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe he thinks of getting open. That And that very well might be, yeah. right? But there's a difference, I think, between O.J. Howard's yards per route run and another player who might be in that range who has a pretty normal uh, rate of targets per route run but isn't very efficient with the targets he gets, right? So we can see some upside there because O.J. Howard has the ability to be very efficient on the targets that he does see. It's just a matter of we have to parse whether he's just not good at getting open. And this is a, you know, maybe an example. We could go back to to today's point where you go back and you look at the film and you try and figure it out. Maybe he's just not good at getting open or maybe Tampa Bay is just not really using their tight end. We don't know. Okay. So when you say that Kittle and Andrews are really good per route run, should I interpret that as, Hey, if those teams start throwing more, I mean, they could just have huge years. Or do you suspect that they are so efficient because the teams were, you know, the the fewer, the less you throw, the easier it is to have kind of outlier numbers, right? Um, yeah. Would efficiency go down? But okay, so let me get my first question. I think is more relevant. The, what you said about Kittle and Andrews being so efficient per route run, should I interpret that as well? If Lamar Jackson's going to have to throw the ball more this year, and we expect him to, that means Mark Andrews might blow up. Yeah, I think he could, but I also think in that scenario, like part of why they have such high yards per route run, again, goes back to them getting a really high rate of targets per routes run. If Andrews is out there every play running routes on every play, I'm not sure that that rate would be as high, that he would continue to see as many targets. And it's, it really is just that opportunity side that he's seeing more targets per route, which is helping him get more yards per route, right? I don't think you can maintain that without the really high targets per route. And I think it's also like any type of efficiency statistic, the more opportunities you get, the closer it's, it may, like it's not going to become average at some point, but the closer it's going to get to normal or average. So if somebody does something on a hundred targets and we think he's going to get 140 next year, we should expect he's going to be less efficient on 140 targets than he was on 100. Yeah. Unless he's Michael Thomas. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah. and he gets 190 targets um right okay so let me be a jerk i guess i do that sometimes do i really need all this i mean like can i just kind of figure all this out just looking at conventional stats yards per catch fantasy finish fantasy points um can i just kind of guess how many targets the guy's gonna get based on who's on his team how much they're gonna throw and you know, I mean, I feel like I can evaluate Mark Andrews. So, you know, he, he's really good. And he's as they throw more, he led the team in targets. He led the team in red zone targets. He led the team in targets inside the 10-yard line. Um, I could see Brown eating into that. But they are going to throw more, and I assume Jackson will throw for more yards. Yeah, Mark Andrews is going to be awesome. Um, you know, Kittle, I don't need advanced stats to know George Kittle's awesome. Uh, but, you know, I'm just being devil's advocate here. Why do I need this I- stuff? I'm going to surprise you here and say, absolutely. Yes. Like a a big reason I want to talk about these things. I, I referenced them with some players, but a big reason I just wanted to break down the difference between yards per outrun and yards per target is when I did mention OJ Howard on Twitter, I got hammered and, and most everybody was saying, you got to look at yards per outrun. He's way worse at yards per outrun. But the only difference is that opportunity metric that's built into yards per outrun, which is targets per route run. And ultimately, the, the point I'm trying to make with this O.J. Howard example, and to answer your question better, is there are so many football stats and none of them is perfect. And 
there we're in a there's a lot of fantasy football advice out there we're in an atmosphere now where people will throw out any kind of set you want i go, go back to the running backs the tackles evaded or elusiveness that stuff is not predictive of fantasy production and similarly there are so many ways to misuse uh things like yards per run even which is a very good stat if you understand it at uh, identifying what the player is, but I was using these different examples of guys who play lower, uh, higher snap share or lower uh, snap share and uh, higher routes per snap or um, you know targets per route. All these guys have different profiles. You can cut up these stats a million different ways and people do. And we're in an, in an industry where there is so much proliferation of these stats as if they are more meaningful than they are. And I actually think that's one of the biggest reasons that uh, we should be discussing this stuff more is to debunk why certain stats don't matter as much as people are kind of saying they do. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, I think in, in a lot of ways, they can do more harm than good. Oh, interesting. Now, can I say one way where I think these stats could help people in season? If you see a player getting a lot of air yards and not coming through, that would suggest inefficiency, correct? Yes. So the coaching staff would see something like that. And they might say, all right, let's try to get somebody else in here. Now, like the Panthers and Curtis Samuel might be the perfect example of that because last year he just wasn't very good. They might not have had somebody that could even compare to Curtis Samuel on the roster. So they might have been forced to just keep playing him and just, you know, dealing with it. But I wonder if this is something that people could do is if you've got a guy on your team and they're sporting inefficient numbers, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw their snap share go down, their target share go down, their playing time shrink, and then they're not good for fantasy anymore. And it could be a blaring red signal telling you to trade them for whatever you can get. The best example of that this year, everything you just said for me is Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette averaged, uh, I think, something like 50 targets on a 16-game pace for his first two years. And then last year he had a hundred targets. He was wildly inefficient uh, on those targets. He averaged, I think like five yards per target. I don't know. He might have those numbers in, in front of him, but they went out and they got La- LaVisca Chenault, who we talked about a lot. I really like who can, who has, is, can do a lot near the line of scrimmage, both as a receiver and he can line up in the backfield and, and did at Colorado. They also went and got Chris Thompson. There is no way Leonard Fournette, like the team is telling us right there that they, have identified those hundred targets they gave to Leonard Fournette as a problem, not as a good thing. They, that was not helpful for their team to win football games. There's no way his volume is going to be the same this year. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. Actually, we have more thoughts here, but we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about quarterbacks, wrap up this discussion here. Um, different set of a dot implications for quarterbacks, CPOE, We'll explain that to you. Um, yeah, some fun stuff and some team-level stuff as well that could be very useful for fantasy. We'll be right back. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. 
Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. C-P-O-E for quarterbacks. Ben, what is it? So it's completion percentage over expectation, which um, the, the NFL.com actually has some uh, their next gen stats, they, they have this and some guys that have been really good at it in recent years. Ryan Tannehill was amazing at it last year. Kirk cousins is the, this is one of the stat that gets people talking about Kirk cousins being a little bit underrated. Essentially it takes into account the depth that we are talking about and those other factors that will impact um, completion percentage. I, I believe the NFL is also takes into account pressure uh, on the play. And I think where the throw was. So like a throw to the sideline is more difficult to complete than over the middle of the field, which is a shorter throw for the quarterback. And then looks at their expected complete de- derives in a, an expected completion percentage based on where they're throwing their passes and then their actual completion percentage. And then you're looking at whether they were more accurate or less accurate than they should have been based on the types of throws that they make. Okay. Do you, is there anyone you want to talk about in regards to this? Does it matter? I think we I sort mean, of Tannehill and, and Cousins are yeah. guys that that did well last year. It's maybe a, a positive note. Um, you know, Josh Allen is somebody that you might expect didn't do great, even knowing that he throws downfield a lot. He's not a very accurate passer, so uh, it, it's it's one that's interesting to dive into. I don't know how useful it is uh, for predicting fantasy success, but it's helpful. All right, screw it, screw quarterbacks, whatever. We want to talk about team level advanced stats, EPA. What on earth is EPA? So that that's when I, I put on our list because I, I feel like we're getting, it's being used a lot in the football world, even outside more generally outside of fantasy football, but it's, it's expected points added. And on any play, there's an expected points metric. Think actual football NFL points. Where the, the down and distances and where the ball is on the field, how far away they are from scoring how likely they are to score a touchdown or a field goal essentially on that drive based on tons and tons of historical data. Right. And so every play that gets adjusted, okay, they were first and 10. Now they're second and 15. Now their EPA on that drive went way down or or their EP, their expected points on that drive went down. And so that play itself, the expected points that were added was negative because they lost a bunch of yards and now they're in a worse down and distance situation. And it, it, um, it's used a lot to discuss uh, like the efficiency of the passing game, the efficiency of the running game. It doesn't have as much of a fantasy implication, but I do think it's important to understand what it is. And really I, part of the reason I put on the list, I I saw a really interesting thread from um, man. I wish I knew I I could credit the correct account, but I'm pretty sure it's the Cowboys stats and and information account. Um, uh, I can't remember his name, but he he, basically, he said for quarterbacks there, the the EPA, uh, um, 
correlates really strongly with first down rate and turnovers because turnovers here, expected points uh, obviously go way down and uh, first downs are, are always going to be good for, for uh, your expected points on a, on a particular drive. It's always going to improve things. You're moving the ball down the field. So um, I, I think that's an interesting stat in that it has its limitations, but it's also one that's getting referenced a lot in, in regular football world. All right, Heath, let's talk about pace stats and teams that stand out in pace. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like when you say pace, we're technically talking about like how fast a team is getting plays in and how quickly they go from the last play to the next snap. And that's important. It doesn't necessarily always correlate with the total number of offensive plays that a team runs in a game or in a season. And a lot of that has to do because even if you're running plays really quickly, if you're not consistently moving the ball down the field, then you're going to have to punt. And if your defense can't get off the field, then you're going to get destroyed in time of possession. And it won't matter that you're running a lot of plays. Um, The Patriots, now they lost Tom Brady, so that probably won't be the case anymore, but they still have a good defense. So it might be the Patriots have always been way up there in terms of total number of plays run. The Ravens have always, I I think I said in our email thread, they've run over 1,050 plays each of the last five seasons in comparison an Adam Gase offense is generally right around 900 plays. His offenses are always towards the bottom of the league in terms of the number of plays that they run in a given season. The Eagles, Doug Peterson generally way up there in terms of the number of plays they run. And it matters because like we're looking at these efficiencies and we know they're going to fall within a certain range. Like, yeah, somebody might be a lot more efficient than another, but your team running a hundred more plays than another team over a given season is going to be universally good for everyone on that team that has a chunk of the action. So like, this is the place where I start uh, my projections just to, and then go from splitting out the market share from there. I think the, one of the things that I've found in the past two years that is kind of new to me And I don't like, we don't have enough data on this that I've seen that it's definitely 100% true, but it has seemed very, very true. Inexperienced play callers are generally very, very slow paced. And I like, it seems that it's as simple as these guys not being used to getting the play off their sheet and into the quarterback's head and getting the play run as quickly. I mean, we saw it. Um, with Stefanski they they were and and they may just be a slow paced team generally speaking a lot of teams with good defenses like to just kind of milk the clock Now the Ravens aren't like that at all they aren't particularly quick but they still always run a ton of plays but I, I do think like if you're looking at teams this year that have inexperienced play callers guys that haven't done it very much even if they're talking about wanting to play fast or run a lot of plays I'd be very skeptical of that and that, that takes me in my mind to two places. One is last year in Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury taking charge and his offense is known for running a ton of plays. And by the second half of the season, I don't think they were quite doing what they wanted to both in terms of personnel on the field and the amount of plays that they were running per game. And the second one for this year is in Carolina where Joe Brady, I don't think he's got a lot of experience calling plays period. He wasn't the full-time coordinator at LSU last year. He was just working on passing plays. And now he's got to be responsible for, for getting the plays into Teddy Bridgewater and the running plays quickly. How quick can they possibly do it? 
and they've got a team with a young and potentially train recce defense. Yeah, because Arizona last year, I think they were something like 21st in plays run. Um, right, and that and was a terrible team that I was expecting possession. to run a lot of plays. But I, I, think, that, like, I think Ben has something on that too. Yeah, so th- this is one of the ones that's most useful for when we're talking about how can we um, use it predictively and, and, and for the future. So typically the team teams that are trying to run a quick um, essentially their, their time to snap is lower or higher. Like this is measured. It's measured over at football outsiders teams that are trying to, to play quickly and their time to snap is lower. They tend to run more plays, but as Heath noted, if you're not a very good offense, you're not going to sustain drives. You're not going to run a lot of plays. And this gets into another great team staff, uh, team, team stat, which is um, game script. Uh, but when you when you talk about teams that are winning, game script is is basically saying uh, who throughout a game, basically the average score of the game um, throughout each snap of the game, each minute, each second. It depends on how you define it. But uh, teams that are playing from ahead are going to do things a little bit differently than teams that are playing from behind. They're going to run more. Teams that are playing from behind are going to throw more. And teams that are playing from ahead are going to play slower. And teams that are playing from behind are going to play faster. Uh, but when we look at pace and we, we want to mostly want to look at these neutral situations earlier in the game, when the score is not out of hand, the Cardinals last year were fourth quickest in the league, even though they ran the 22nd most plays, what that says in terms of predictiveness is if they are able to sustain more drives, if they aren't playing from behind quite as much, they have a lot of play volume upside because they were still in like they're the 25th percentile essentially in, in, in overall plays but and we all expected, hey, Kingsbury's going to come in and run a fast-paced offense. He did. He did run a fast-paced offense. They just weren't successful enough, and that does doesn't mean that they're going to be below average in play volume in 2020. And in fact, I think I would argue that means that we should expect them to be above average in play volume in 2020. The Ravens is a really interesting one. Heath mentioned they were top six in time to snap. Every year from 2017, 28, uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, I just looked and it might be even true earlier than that. Uh, they were a team that worked pretty fast when Joe Flacco was a quarterback. They tended to throw more. Last year, they still ran a ton of plays, but they were um, among the slower teams in time to snap in the league. They were 27th in time to snap because they're more of a run heavy team and they and that's in situation neutral situa- uh, situations. In in overall plays, they were dead last in time to snap because they also led, and then they were even slower when they were leading. But this is a team that was still still ran a ton of plays, largely because of their efficiency. If you think Baltimore's offense is going to be less efficient this year, I would argue there's a pretty strong possibility based on the fact that their time to snap was a lot slower last year than it was in prior years, that their total plays could come down. Interesting. I. Total plays is something I've certainly looked at more. Like I love the fact that the Eagles run have a fast-paced offense. They led the league, I think, in plays last year. I think they've been top eight all three years with Peterson, something like that. The Rams are up there. I mean, it's good. It's important. Um, very valuable stuff. And, uh, you know, I hope this was helpful. We have to wrap this up. Uh, again, the emails and the Apple Podcast questions on our Friday mailbag, which you might hear Thursday night, but... Uh, most of you will hear it on Friday. Um, so, yeah, send them in, fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Uh, Advanced Stats 101. Really, thank you so much to all three of you guys for educating me and the listeners. And I uh, hope it was useful. I think it will be very useful as we move forward. 
a new era of fantasy analysis. For Heath Cummings, Dave Richard, Van Gretsch, I'm Adam Azer. We'll talk to you with the mailbag later this week.